Welcome to Plenty of Lines But Nothing to Say, where we talk about Huey Lewis and the news album by album. I'm Dylan. And I'm Nadine. And this is our first episode, and we're talking about their first album, Huey Lewis and the News. This album was released in 1980. Recorded in December 1979, I believe. So this being the first episode... We should probably introduce ourselves. I'm, I'm more of a casual fan. I listened to Huey Lewis and the news on the radio when I was a teenager. I was about 12 when sports came out and they, they really started to hit big. So I'm aware of their music, but I've never really dug into it. No, I don't think I ever bought any of their albums before I met you. So I've listened to them since four. That was the first album that I heard. And then I went to Small World and then I took a trip backwards, sports, picture this and this album. I've seen them in concert twice. I've had to travel from Australia to America. I saw them in Las Vegas in 97, and I saw them with my own family in 2016 in New Zealand. So introductions out of the way. I think we need to go back in time and have a look at the album cover. The album cover, the first thing you see, which is pretty plain. It looks very staged, doesn't it? It's got that white background... Very sort of minimal. They're all wearing jackets. Why is Sean propped up like that? And how is he propped up? Did they catch him in mid-jump? I like Huey's white jacket, though. That says says rock star in the white jacket, I think, of 1980. That was originally supposed to be a publicity shot. It wasn't meant to be the the album cover. The album cover wasn't meant to be the picture on the back. Oh, you're, you're talking about the one with the surfboard. The surfboard, which is a pastiche of a Beach Boys album cover i believe there's already a beach boys influence here but for some reason that was decided to put that on the back cover and go with the band shot on the front should we at this point introduce the band we should because the band lineup is pretty stable for the first what decade and a half i think so there was quite a number of years that they did that they were the same yes Mm. the same six guys with six skinny ties so we had sean hopper on keyboard Billy Gibson's on drums. We had the bad boy on the bass, as Huey used to say, Mario Cipollina. Chris Hayes, the kid on guitar. Johnny Collar on guitar and sax. Andy often did nearly all of the backing vocals and certainly a lot of the arrangements for the vocals. And, of course, the front man, Huey Lewis. On lead vocals and plays. Oh, the harmonica. Well known for his skills there. Do you have any personal memories of this album? I mean, you didn't buy it when it came out, obviously, so... No, I bought this in about 89. There's not much to find on this album, really. They don't talk about it very much. There's not any interesting trivia that I could find to talk about. It was produced by Bill Schnee, who's quite famous for doing a lot of L.A. bands, um, Steely Dan, quite a few of those. And he's just written a book. And he's just written a book. The Hustle podcast did a, uh, an interview with Bill Schnee a little while ago that he talks about Huey Lewis and this album specifically. So if you're interested, you should check out The Hustle podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes. Shall we get into the tracks? The tracks? The meat of the album? Certainly. We can have some fun with this one, aren't we? I think we are. So... <laughs> Kicking us off. Some of my lies are true. Sooner or later. This is true. It has has a parenthesis. This was a single. We know this album didn't chart, so we can pull this one. It got to 203 on the Billboard albums chart. Right, okay. So that's not with a bullet. No, this was written by 
Johnny and Huey. Generally, Huey wrote the lyrics and Johnny wrote the music. Although, um, all songs on this album, apart from two of them, are credited to all the band members. That's true, but these are the ones uh, that they've specifically said have written by them. Now, this was... um, I love this song. I do. I mean, it has (laughs) personal... I've seen them play this in concert. It has that heavy bass line through the chorus. I really like the point where Huey and Johnny are singing the chorus together. There's that really nice guitar solo by Chris. It's really melodic, but there's that weird dump at the end of the solo. It's like they completely kill the solo on the last note. Really awful. I don't know. I didn't pick that up. <laughs> you didn't? Um, no. This song always strikes me as they didn't know how to end it. So I don't like the ending. It just kills it for me. The Bill's sort of doing this drum thing. The, the drums are going mad at the end. I, uh, I felt like this is the big finish that we do live, and we don't know how to end it any other way, so we'll just do what we No, well, that's pretty much how they recorded. Yes, Huey has said there was recorded fast and as live as possible. In yes, studio. there's a, a live video in 82 that MTV did. And this has a really nice, sweet ballad intro, I guess, by Sean on the piano. I saw them in 97. They included that live. So this is the only song that was repeated over the years from this album live. It's unusual for a lot of bands, unless their debut is something of a hit, you never hear songs from their debut. Yes. Now, they had a video of this one. That's right. You're going to have to check this one out. This is hilarious. (laughs) It's not a beach, I assume. It's somewhere in San Francisco. Not knowing San Francisco that well, but I... It looks cold. It looks horrendously (laughs) cold. And there's a part where they're all standing in a circle and they're doing this leg kick from behind and it's just... (laughs) It it looks cheesy and and amateurish, doesn't it? All through it, you notice that there's a telephone, the very top of a receiver of an old black telephone sitting on Sean's keyboard. And you think, why is that used? I mean, obviously it's not connected to anything because they're on a beach. beach. At one point, Huey says the lyrics, it's just like I told you. And he's picked up up the the phone. phone. And it's really cheesy. Because we couldn't have worked out what he meant by that unless he was picking up a phone. I just love the dancing. I think it's one of their first videos and it's it's 1980 and you can, it's a bit cheesy. It was recorded for a couple of hundred bucks. It's a bit of a giggle and I like it. I quite like this song. It fades in, which is odd for an album opener, but it sounds pretty cool. It's got a nice little intro riff. It's got that propulsive bass on eight That sounds very new wave. And the guitar is the same. In the verse, the, the guitar does little stabs, which has a really subtle echo. You can just hear it echoing. I love that. And you can hear the, the Beach Boys influence here with the lush backing vocals. They're just all Oh, of course. Yep. I don't want to get too bogged down in lyrics because, frankly, the lyrics always seem secondary with you. They're generally a bit goofy and not to be analysed too much. I don't know what he's trying to say in this song. But yes, I noted the big finish with the dodgy drum rolls. It just sounds like this is the set ender. This is how we close the song. We haven't thought about what else to do. <laughs> That's true, I think. <laughs> so no, it's a cool song. But did you have anything else to say on Some of My Lies Are True? Sooner no, or later. I, I was thinking we'd move on. Track two. Don't make me do it. Make me do it to, to you. you. Mm. This is that 
dun, dun, dun. It's got the hand clap in it. I love a good hand clap. I mean, that's great when it gets the crowd moving, and I think the chorus is the best part of the song. I like that that the hand claps in the drum intro. That was that's unusual, and then uh, many guitars just kick in. There's guitars all over the place, but then the everything drops out, and in the verses, there's just sort of key stabs and the bass doing its thing. The verse is minimal. The solo builds nicely. There's a really fast. It sounds almost like tapping. I don't think it is. We're both guitar players, by the way, so we might get a little technical with guitar talk, but we'll try to rein that in. Um, yeah, a nice big finish. The finish of this doesn't feel forced, like some of my lives are true. sounded kind of forced. True. My only question is, so when does the day become the night? He never answers that, so that's... <laughs> that's true. Yes. <laughs> did they ever do this one live? In, yeah, they did, they did in that... Back in 82. They did it on the MTV concert, yes. Nothing different about it live? No. Is this a favourite of yours? Don't make me do it. Not really. I I felt that it it sort of keeps the quality up. It's not like a dip too much from the first one. It's like, okay, yep, that's a good second song. And then we get into Stop Trying. We do. I should quite like this one. I I really enjoy the uh, intro, the fade in with the Stop Trying Fades into the Stop chorus. Stop trying to call. Kind of yeah. and, yes. And I'll try not to sing too much. <laughs> and I, I just like, she's exactly what she wants to be. I like that. I like that mm. sort of in the chorus. I mean, it worked well as a live song. Yes. I think it works. It's sort of got more energy to it. And some tracks are like that, I think. You, you tend to hear it live and you think that's that's better because you can kind of get the feeling more. Yes, I didn't have a lot to say on this one. I like the, the intro, the fade-in. Sounds different and, and very cool. Again, lots of big full harmonies. Lyrically, it felt like he's talking to somebody and telling them that they're being an idiot, which is a theme that does come up in a few other songs later on. Stop bothering her. She's, she's doing fine without you, mate. Yeah, um, possibly. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, by this stage in the album, we've had three songs in, and like, okay, we've got a handle on what they're doing. This is not a surprise, but it's it's a cool song. It's like, yep, yeah, this is more of that. Yes. And we, we know what they do now. Moving on. Track four. Oh, Now Here's You. Now Here's You. This was a single, and I don't understand really why. I like the song, but I don't think it's single material. And uh, do you want me to explain further? You, you, you explain. I have a different take on it. So. Oh, okay. I like the opening of this with the keys and the guitar before the song actually starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first time you actually hear Johnny play the sax. So you're oh, up to yeah. track four, and you, you, you this know, is the, the first sax we've seen. Is that sounds right? It is because... actually, and Johnny is really the standout in this song. And there's three lines of the verse. And then there's this nice guitar feel that just sort of leads you into the second verse. Chris does the same to the chorus as well. You start to see that they're starting to build songs. I mean, it's a well-built song, but it's not one of my favourites. I like the lyrics, I got eyes, but I didn't see you coming. You could have been just any woman. And if you are, why am I so blue? And now he's you. I quite like that. Yeah. I don't want to dump on this song because it's okay, but I felt I, I thought it was filler. I thought of, of the okay. album of the first four tracks, this is the first one. It's just like, yeah, this is a bit disappointing. After the others, my notes are eighty sax solo. Blah. <laughs> <sighs> oh come on now with Johnny's saxophone solo. We love those. There will that, be that's good, okay. There will be good sax coming up, but this, this is not it. <laughs> Fine. Um, I, this one was co-written with 
John McPhee. He was in Clover. He was, with Huey in the mm -hmm. 70s, and he's also been a long-time member of the Doobie Brothers, and his name will come up in later albums. So we won't dig into him here, but that's just an interesting little aside. Do they do this one live at all? No. No? No. You ready to move on? Right. Well, last song. Last song on side one. I oh. want you. Oh. This song is shit. I thought it was a big call to cover a Kiss song at this stage of my career. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, but the lyrics are dumb enough to be a Kiss song. I mean, honestly. What lyrics? Well, yes. I don't know. I mean, I mean this song is like an instrumental where we didn't know what we were doing, so we just attached some words to it. Huey seems really angry. Huey says, I want you 24 times. <laughs> All the band does. It's I had to count it because I seriously don't like the song. I I just I'm, don't I'm like the song. I'm sure, there's someone out there. I'm who sure likes there's the somebody that likes that song, but it's a short song. It's oh, about two minutes. It's very short, and quite honestly, I I've skipped it every time I played that album. I skipped that song. In fact, until I started listening to this album to do this podcast, I don't remember ever hearing this song. No, that's because I skipped. I it. I looked at it and went, I we have never played this song before no. until now. So yes. This one is actually not written by the band at all. It's written by a guy called Brian Marnell. Oh, okay. And uh, I did a little digging. Brian Marnell was the main guy and the lead singer in a San Francisco band called SVT. And a bandmate and a longtime good friend of Johnny Collar. They were in Soundhole and various other bands going back. Sure. From, from about when Johnny was in high school, I believe. For a long time. SVT were a new wave punk band that boasted... Bill Gibson on the drums. Oh. Bill was actually in both SVT and Huey Lewis and the American Express. For oh, a short time, yes. he was just, they were sharing, sharing the a The American drummer. Express. I so like the news better. <laughs> Johnny has said that some of my lies probably would have ended up as a ballad if it wasn't for Brian's influence on him musically. It doesn't say whether Brian helped him rewrite that song. He was, he was influenced by Brian. Brian Marnell died in 1983. On johnnycollar.com, there's the liner notes for a SVT CD. That's not easy to say. Um, <laughs> that was released in the early 2000s that um, Johnny did some production work and remixing and also wrote the liner notes. So I'll put a link in that because it's quite a bit of history of the San Francisco scene at the time. Huey Lewis and SVT. So if you're interested, that's, uh, that's an interesting little read. Ah, cool. But yes, the song itself, no. No. <laughs> no, thank you. No, no, let's let's move. So we're we yeah. flipping the record over. Well, yeah. Side two. Side two. Yeah. Don't ever tell me that oh. you love me. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> but I love this song. <laughs> I feel a bit guilty about loving this song. It's kind of the fun of Huey. You know, it doesn't take itself seriously. Do you want to um, know what the first line of my notes is? What's that? This is fun right off the bat. <laughs> this is just good, yeah. goofy fun. Oh, it's true. I mean, it's got this extremely wordy chorus. I don't know how they spat that one out, but I see this as the lead into songs like Working for a Living and I Want a New Drug where they were quite wordy, but they knew what they were doing they, by then. They worked out not to cram so many words in because you've got to try and spit them all out live. Yeah, that's right. You haven't got any breath left. And there's a lot of cool guitar fills in this. I reckon Mario was rocking on the bass in this one. It's, it's a really, when they played it live, it was really heavy. It's a little bit more heavy than I think they were going for at the time. This had a video. It did. They had it a lot did. of makeup. And, <laughs> 
Huey had a lot of makeup. <laughs> As opposed to Some of My Lies Are True, this one is a little bit more embarrassing. I'm sure Chris Hayes is embarrassed by this one because there's a lot of really ridiculous dancing by him in this one. That's true, but it feels like a better video. I mean, it's oh, still it a is. concept, but it's not just them jumping about on the beach. There's, there's yeah, but cinema he, and he a girl. He met her down at the store on a corner. Apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Huey. Yes, I mean, Huey's that. got the sunglasses on in this one. He's looking like a rock star. And I think the favourite part of this one, because their videos were always something to have a bit of a laugh at yes. most of the time. But there's a part where at the chorus and Huey and the girl are sitting there in the cinema and the band stands up and all of them are pointing oh, at they... the two of them singing, don't ever tell me that you love me. And it's just, yes. oh, this is the worst date ever. <laughs> Wouldn't you think if oh, yeah. four guys behind you just stood up and... I mean, it's obviously an empty cinema. It's not meant to be taken seriously. It's just no, funny. No, and, and the whole the whole song is like that because he does meet her. It's more literal, this video, and they, yeah, they kind of dumped all the literal stuff later on. But I think this song's fun. Is this a Chris Hayes written song? Oh, it is. Yes. I felt it was written by a guitarist. It's just full of little riffs and licks and guitar heavy. Yeah. Yeah, but his uh, background wasn't rock. I don't mean heavy musically, I mean it's just heavy in the sense of they put guitar stuff in it. Yeah, you can see that he's... It's not light on the guitar. No. I totally get the feeling that this was just a fun one to play live. I think so. Yeah, I think it would be. Sean's doing the weird keyboard slides. That's totally not necessary, but it's just like... I'm glad you mentioned Sean because I don't actually get a chance to mention him much on this album because you can't really hear any of that, really. He's sort of just in the background. There's keyboards there, but they're not doing anything very noteworthy in most of the time, except for here where he's doing weird little slides and stuff. I think we'll move on. Move on to another one that I had not ever heard before. You've never heard Hearts? No, I don't remember ever hearing this It's nice. It's a nice little song. It's nice build to the chorus with this. You can see how they're building their songs a bit more with this one, whether you like it or not. I can see that it's got a little bit more depth to it. There's this rhythm guitar in the chorus that I really like. It's something that's not in the other songs. It's a real clear, crisp guitar sound in the chorus. And this is my favourite guitar solo on the album. I like to talk about guitar solos. But the very ending, the last 15 seconds of the song, is just terrible. It's, again, like they didn't know how to end it. Oh, please stop. Yeah, I had, what the f*** is with the swirly keyboards in the outro? <laughs> what? It, it just comes out of nowhere. No. It doesn't relate to anything else. <laughs> it's so it's... true, though. It's like, oh, this is sh- it's like, oh, uh, suddenly the keyboard oh. player has managed to plug in his keyboard and he's going to let everybody know that I he's agree. Back it's just, but what about the rest of the song? The rest of the song, I thought the lyrics were a bit clunky. I like the cool bass line, the sort of boom, bump kind of sound in the verses. That was yep. pretty neat. The harmonies were nice. Not much to this one. The harmonies are nice. Yeah. No, they, yeah. They, and I think this is what shows in this album where you can see they progressed from there. This is pretty much a live album. I, feel and I think they recorded it fairly live but you can feel that they know how to get the nice harmonies and I mean this was before 
auto-tune and everything. They had to know what they were doing and... Mm. Yeah, I think that really was their speciality here. They were clearly inspired by the close harmony groups of the 60s and Beach Boys. The Beach Boys. And BGs and, and all those kind of bands that did those kind of things. They, yes, we, we want to do that too. Because as, as amateurish as a lot of this album sounds, the backing vocals are pretty flawless. Oh, they, they are. are. Yep. But yes, I didn't think there was much to this one. Except, what does love as a whispered token mean? Again, clunky lyrics. It's... It, it rhymed and it sounded Possibly. good. It didn't have to mean anything. Yes, there's often a lot of Huey's lyrics that will probably progress as we mm. go along that will sort of go, what was he saying there? This is this is not Pink Floyd where you need no. to write an essay on what the, <laughs> what the song is about. No, it's... but there are parts of Huey's lyrics that I find mm. quite amusing and I quite enjoy. So we should move on Moving to track on. eight. And we have Trouble in Paradise. Uh, this a favourite of yours? It is. This is a professional sounding song, I think. This has it got is. the nice little beginning start with the piano, and then it moves on to Johnny and the saxophone. This actual live version of this song actually appears on the We Are The World album. It's obviously a favourite of yes. theirs. You know, it showcases Johnny. I think Johnny's got a really good section of this. And there's a terrific ending guitar solo to fade. I really just like that one. Yes, and that I, a guitar solo. Barry, and yeah. of all the lines in this one, I'm like, oh, you know, we were talking about Huey's lyrics. He used to be cool. He used to laugh a lot. And I don't know why, but that one just, I really like it. This was performed live, but this was in 1984. They have, if you're able to find it, it was on VHS and never been released again. But it was the Heart of Rock and Roll video. And they played this with the Tower of Power. That verse actually is where we got the title for the podcast because I love lines that could mean many things. And that line about just got back from LA, plenty of lines, but nothing to say. The lines could be script lines or one-liners or cocaine. You don't know exactly what he means, but you, no. get, you get the idea that this guy's just talking a lot, but there's no, nothing, nothing there. Nobody's home. I think it put me in a bad mood listening to this. It's got a nice chiming intro and then... Bing sacks. <laughs> oh, am I going to apologise to Johnny Cole the whole way through this? I'm not anti-saxophone. Oh, but just not this but one. But there's a certain type of noodly 80s sax solo that drives me spare and... Uh. This, this has it. It sounds this a bit like it. It, this song's sort of got an excuse in the middle to jam for five minutes on stage if we're in a mood to. Between the noodly sax solo and the noodly guitar solo. So we can string this out for ten minutes if we're feeling good. Yeah, tonight. but they never did. They didn't? Oh, no, thankfully they never usually strung out songs. You know, I think they, they didn't do a dire straits and play 15 minutes of the same song. And by the end of it, you're going, what? Are we what? Doing? Can we hear another song, please? Can we please hear another <laughs> song? But they didn't do it. I quite like this song. I, yes. I, I, I'm not just down on the sax. Oh, <laughs> okay. Because I might have to bong you on the head if you're going to... No. If you're going to diss Johnny the whole way through this. There, there are good sax solos coming That's up. good. Maybe not on this album, but certainly... No, there wasn't many on this album. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even heard Huey on the harmonica yet. But I think we're about to. Oh, that's true. Move it into... Oh, who, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Oh. This this is more like it. <laughs> more like what? More like what we have been used to from the first half of this album. 
Listen, oh. we're back into the new wave. It's upbeat. It's even a little angry. Oh, yeah. Huey is angry in this one. And, mm. I mean, the bass is just thumping all the way through yeah. it. They've got the shouty, who cares, yes. chorus. It's good to sing along and, to when you're angry. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not many times did you hear, does anybody give a sh- in any of their songs, um, usually they avoided swearing in anything. I'm not sure it's actually spoken. Oh, I wonder whether it's ready? cut off. I had a close listen and it could be, does anybody give a sh- Yeah, possibly. It's hard to tell. Oh, but uh, but has... I, I used to say it as that anyway. We talked about, we've, we've got nearly all the way through the album and we haven't heard Huey on harmonica yeah. until now. And mm. I think that's a shame, really. He is a good heart player. He is a fantastic heart player. Now, this guitar solo is insane. It is yes. absolutely insane. It's all over the fretboard. I tried to learn it once, and uh, I couldn't keep up. But it's fun, but yes. I couldn't keep up with it. That finger work is just insane. And um, Bill's great on the drums. I mean, we haven't spoken about drums. We but, haven't really. But, but this one is... really fires it up. The the guitar solo... it. It put me in mind of um, Joe Perry from Aerosmith, early Aerosmith albums. He's kind of a, a s- sloppy is not quite the right word, but he's all over the place and has that slightly shambolic stumbling down the, the stairs drunk and you're not sure if he's about to fall on his face kind of feel. This solo has a little bit of that. It is it is all over the place mean. and it's just on the edge of, oh, is he going to hold this together and get to the end or is this just going to fall over? But it doesn't, of course, because it's Chris Hayes and he gets to the end. Uh, but yes, it is a great guitar solo. And then everything drops out and there's mostly an unaccompanied little guitar. Yes, I know what you mean, <laughs> yes. yeah. At the end of the guitar solo, just everything stops out and he's just sort of hitting the string. Yes. Um, there's quite a long instrumental outro section to this with a chorus sort of buried in it. It just keeps going and there's a bit of sax and a bit of harp and a bit of guitar. and The second half of the song seems to be instrumental. You're probably right there, yeah. And then a chorus done again, and, and it just keeps going. But no, this is a cool track. It is cool. They but never played it past. Past this. Oh, I've got a. It is on that MTV concert okay. of '82, but they never played it past that because it was it was too ferocious. I think it's not a Huey. Hard to sing too. There's too many words in it. Yeah, and, and they're not very. They don't make any sense. <laughs> they really don't. No, moving on the evening of the 87th day. Yes. Pretty certain that's the start. It obviously means something to Huey somewhere down the track, and uh, I still like it. It's a good song. It's a great song. Moving on to the last track. Oh, the the shortest track, I think, on the album. pretty short. If you really love me, you'll let me. But if you love me, you'll let me go. Doom, doom. Interesting take on the... If you love me, you'll let me song, which there are many of, and it's usually That's um, true. it's usually pressuring somebody into sex, and this is pressuring them to to let him go, which is just a nice little twist because he sort of drops it right at the end of the chorus. Oh, it you is. You don't know what he means until he gets to that last line. This is another wordy song. It's mm. really it's almost frantic too. It's a little bit more frantic in the words and what they're doing, and if you listen to it with headphones on. The guitar solo goes from the left speaker to the right speaker, which is really cool. I like that section of the song. And it has some almost going back away, maybe in the 50s or something. It has some nice piano in the chorus that Sean's playing. And, it, yeah, probably back to Little Richard. 
but I just like this song just goes if you love me you let me go dun dun and it stops, stops. Yes. you know and it's like oh that's the end mm, and we're over yes and we're, we're over done. and I think their last songs on the albums tended to be a bit odd and a bit shall I say a bit dodgy it's the just, ending song was always just not quite... It's often where they dump their dodgy cover. Yeah, I'm not sure why, <laughs> but you're absolutely right there. Um, this one isn't a cover, but it does no. have a throwback. I felt even the guitar solo sounds... I have Chuck Berry, but I'm sure it's it's not, but it's fairly recognisable standard guitar licks. Played well. It's yes. A, it's a nice solo. It's, it feels sort of inspired by the 50s somehow, the whole song. It's yes. something of a throwback. It's over quick. It didn't have a lot to hold the attention. I felt no. I, can't, I can't remember a single line of the verse. I don't know what the, the lyrics sound like in the verse because I can't remember them. But it's it's <laughs> over quick, and then suddenly you're out the door, and you're you're, at, you're the out the door, and you finish the album. <laughs> it had no hits on it, did it? No, it, didn't. it really didn't. It really didn't. They, um, were, they, were, they were being optimistic with um, putting some of my lies. Out there, I think. Interesting, they did a, a, because the single was "Some of My Lies" and now here's you. I had that the B side was "Don't Ever Tell Me You Love Me." Oh, okay. So the they, B side to "Some of My Lies" are true. Yeah, that they did a video for both sides of the um. Oh. Not that it made any difference because nobody bought it. Very few people bought it until after sports, I think. Yes, the second single was Now Here's You. They actually put out a second single. Yes. Just according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, of course. <laughs> Overall, I think the songs could have done with some fine-tuning mm. and probably a bit of a different sound to what Huey wanted back then, but I don't really think it was quite right. But you can see that they've got the songwriting quality there in this one. Yes. I mean, you can see it's going to end up Sports one day. Yeah. Not to say that they wrote every song on sports, but you can see that they had the quality there. And it was when they played things live, what you got was pretty accurate. What you got, yeah. they could perform everything live with no problem. Yeah, this sounds like it's their set list. Pretty much it was. This, this, is, this is our thing. We've done this a hundred times. Let's just go in and do it. There's a great video on uh, YouTube of Huey going through his, uh, th- going through each album. And he says, yeah, we did this in about three days and we probably should have spent a little more time on it well, something like that and they so, would know mm. yes. and but, they would you know, know. For, a, for, a, for a debut album it's it's respectable it's not great but it's not bad it's oh that's true probably a fairly accurate representation of what they were on stage at the time yes back in 1980 so thoughts on this one overall what did you think of the record i like this i like this album i don't think it's something that i play often and there are songs that I definitely choose more often than others to play. And yeah. I think it had its potential. There was potential in this album. I think you could see it. I just don't think it didn't have a hit. And that was okay. And mm. you could see that there was going to be more to come, basically. And, you know, yeah. Huey was, a, was an excellent front man. Yes, the potential is there and it's clear and their, their songwriting is tight and concise and just needs some practice, I think, some working on... <laughs> Production. Production. Which is what they did for Picture This, which yes, is our, the, next, the album. next album that we're going to review. And on that note, thank you for listening. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can catch us on Facebook at Plenty of Lines But Nothing to Say or email plentyoflines at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, uh, please like, subscribe, share, review, all those other nice things there are to tap and click out there. And if you know a Huey Lewis and the News fan, why not tell them about us? We'll be back next time to talk about... Picture this. See you then. Bye.